A large portion of the Jewish nation has returned to its homeland, but the heart, soul, and mind of much of the Jewish nation are still in exile mode. This state of affairs must and will inevitably change. This is Torah Nation TV from Jerusalem, and we are speaking with the head of Machon Shiloh, Rabbi David Bar Chaim. Shalom, Rabbi Bar Chaim. Shalom. Can I ask about Shemini Aseret, please? Um, I, sure. Um, uh, I wanted to know if, um, if, if there were a, a, a minyan, a Machon Shiloh minyan on, on Shemini Aseret, as I understand it has been in the past, um, what would the Kriyat HaTorah be? And what would the Haftarah be? And would there be Hakafot? Well, this is a, uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, the, the truth is, the, the question does not pertain only to Shemini Asereth, or as it is also known as Simhat Torah, which is also a perfect example of uh, what we've been discussing now. Uh, it really pertains, one could ask this question, uh, with regards to the entire year. Let, let me explain. The original minhag, the original practice, reading the Torah on a, on a weekly basis and on, a, on an annual basis, was, uh, was uh, the annual cycle was not the original format of, the, of this miswah. This was uh, developed in Bavel uh, at a slightly later time. As the Talmud itself describes in a couple of places, that in Eretz Yisrael it says they, they read the Torah or they complete the Torah every three years. In other sources, we see that the more precise figure is uh, three and a half years. So every seven years, every Shemitah, they completed the Torah twice in Eretz Yisrael, which means that the Torah reading on a weekly basis was considerably shorter, which we could discuss at length. I don't know if this is the, the time and the place, but uh, there are certainly some advantages to having a shorter Torah reading. Uh, on the other hand, if one wants to complete the Torah annually, the entire Torah, then one has to have a longer Torah reading. And the Minhag in Bavel grew up in such a way that the Torah was completed annually, and the day on which this was done became known as Simhat Torah for this reason. Because the Jews, of course, naturally are, are happy and joy joyous that they have... Uh, been to read the Torah, to complete the Torah one more year, one more cycle. And uh, they expressed them, this joy in various ways, by means of hakafoth, dancing, celebrating, having a kiddush, uh, after davening or before davening or in the middle of davening, what have you. These are all expressions of normal, uh, intuitive simcha of the Jewish people when it comes to their, uh, celebrating their connection to the Torah. But it is clearly a fact that this was not the case in Eretz Yisrael in ancient times. Of course, you have to keep in mind also that in Chutz Laaretz, where to this day Yom Tov is celebrated for two days, you have Sukkoth, which lasts nine days, and Simchat Torah is the ninth day, and is a separate day from Shemini Aseret. So you have Shemini Aseret, and you have Simchat Torah, two separate days. And you can also, therefore, divide the various things that you're 
that you're trying to say and, and complete and, uh, and achieve in, in the Beth Knesset, you can divide that between two separate days. And this is what we find in the Zohar. In the Zohar, it, it discusses the nine days of the, of the uh, Hag of Sukkoth. A clear indication uh, where the Zohar was, was authored. And uh, it describes the ninth day of Simhat Torah. But this ninth day did not exist in Eretz Yisrael. In fact, it doesn't exist to this day. Because the reality in Chutz was nine days, the ninth day of which was called Simchat Torah, to this day in Eretz Yisrael, to this very day, uh, many, most people, I think it's fair to say, refer to Shmini Asterith, which is the original name of the day, by the term Simchat Torah. Uh, it's a fact, it's a matter of habit. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Of course, there's nothing wrong with completing the Torah according to the annual cycle. I said there are advantages and disadvantages to that system, um, which we can go into if people are interested. But there's nothing wrong with that. And it is, but it is also possible to, to imagine doing things differently. If there were to be a, a regular minyan of a, of a sibur, of a community of people who wanted to do things according to uh, the, the uh, ancient system of Eretz Yisrael, reading the Torah, shall we say, every three and a half years, then uh, that, could, that could be done. And in, one imagines in that, in that case, if there was such a regular minyan that worked in that way over a period of years, they would cover the Torah, but it wouldn't necessarily uh, end and begin uh, at, the, at the end of Sukkoth. So if... If there were to be a minyan in a few days' time, and due to the current situation in Israel with the, the lockdown and, and other other realities, uh, that is not a possibility, uh, and for other reasons it's, it's, it's complicated. But uh, if that were to be a possibility, then it, it would depend, seeing that, that we haven't got, at this point in time, a community that functions in that way, it would have to be discussed by the tzibur what they want to do, how they wish to conduct themselves. Because when it comes to such decisions, it's the will of the majority of the tzibur that that should decide, as it is uh, with many other considerations. For example, if if uh, mo most of the tzibur wants a certain person to be the shleach tzibur on Rosh Hashanah, and the minority wants another person to be the shleach tzibur, well, you go by the majority of, of the tzibur. And the same would apply here. Shalom, Rav. This is Yitzchak. Shalom, Yitzchak. So I was wondering, since um, you say that we should be waving the lulav on the first day of Sukkot, which falls on a Shabbat. Yes. And since most people aren't doing this now. Yes. How would you say we go about that? Because I guess, I guess we can't go into synagogue with a lulav. <laughs> No, I, I definitely would not recommend that. Yeah. Because anything that is uh, going to cause mahaloketh <clears throat> uh, should be, must be avoided. Ali Shanei Adam mahaloketh, it says in the Mishnah, in the even if something is correct, but it's going to cause mahaloketh, generally it should be avoided. At this point in time, therefore, what I have said to people who have asked me is to do so at home, in the privacy of their own home. Uh, 
at such time, again, when there is a community that wishes to behave in that way as a community, then it, it will be possible to do so. As the Mishnah describes explicitly, that uh, when people would bring their lulavim to the Beth Knesset out of Shabbat, before Shabbat, and uh, in the morning they would come and uh, find their lulavim there waiting for them, and uh, they would carry on, they would do what has to be done. But uh, it's not possible to do this where the community does not... Uh, is not united around such a practice. Hi, this is Mayor. Uh, going just a little, maybe addition to that question. Uh, so if we cannot go into into shul, maybe you could answer personally, what did you happen to do on uh, the Shabbat? Did you possibly wave your lulav in your own sukkah or at home? Or um, that, is, that, is, that is precisely what I did, yes. <clears throat> some some years ago, uh, I was able to organize a minyan when I lived in Yerushalayim. I was able to organize a minyan of some of my Talmidim in Yerushalayim. And uh, we had a minyan where we did this. This was in uh, in my home and in my sukkah. Um, and to this year, this was, this was not possible. So I did as, as exactly as you said, yes. There's a question someone posted in the chat. It says, which mitzvot, in your view, have greater weight than others? Which have the greatest weight? I, I, see, I see the question, but I'm not sure I understand the question. In general, uh, the Torah is not a, a supermarket of, of mitzvot. We don't pick and choose. We are required to do all the mitzvot that pertain to us. We know that there are certain mitzvot which are more severe or more uh, carry a greater penalty than than others. The Rambam writes in his Perush on the Mishnah that the severity of an isur of a prohibition of the Torah can be judged according to the the penalty that that comes with it. In terms of positive misworth, well, there are there are certain Miswath, which Hazal specifically pointed to as as being fundamental and uh, in many ways encapsulating all of the Torah. One of those Miswath is the Miswath of Shabbat, of keeping Shabbat. Hazal say that uh, Shabbat, Shekula, Kanegat Kol, Kola Miswath. Keeping of Shabbat is is equal in weight to all of the miswath because the miswath of Shabbat, which of course also carries a, a very heavy penalty, the transgression of Shabbat, Hasra Shalom, the, the miswath of Shabbat is an affirmation of our, our, our understanding and our awareness of the fact that there is a creator, Yesh Borela Olam, and he created all that exists and everything is within his power. He is omniscient and, om, uh, and uh, om, omnipresent and omnipotent. Another miswa that uh, Hazal make a similar statement, with regards to which Hazal make a similar statement, is the miswa of Sisith. Uh, they speak about uh, Sisith being also shekula, because the miswa of Sisith 
comes to remind us of all the other miswath. Another, a further miswath that Chazal uh, makes such a statement uh, with regards to with regards to which Chazal makes such a statement is the miswath of uh, Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael and dwelling in, in Eretz Yisrael, which and this connects to what we said earlier about the Shloshar Chalim, that uh, all of the Torah is essentially predicated on and intended for the Jewish people living in Eretz Yisrael. And everything else needs to be understood as being uh, abnormal and not according to the, to the original intention of the Torah. And therefore we find in the Sifrei that when several great Chachamim, due to Roman persecution, had to flee from Eretz Yisrael at a certain period in time, when they reached the borders of Eretz Yisrael, as they were leaving Eretz Yisrael, they sat down on the ground and rendered their clothes and wept because they had to leave. They were forced to leave Eretz Yisrael. And there it says in the Sifrei, from here we see that Shekola, Yeshivat Eretz Yisrael, that the Miswav dwelling in Eretz Yisrael is, is, uh, is equal to all, all the Miswav combined. Again, because it is an, an essential foundation and uh, it's basically the assumption on which the Torah is based. Uh, one more miswa uh, uh, in connection with which Chazan make a, a similar statement um, is, is of course the miswa of Tamuth Torah. We, we all know the, the Mishnah and Masechet Pe'ah with Talmud with, with Torah, Kenegad Kulam. The study of Torah, again, is a fundamental uh, and uh, a prerequisite for, for being a serious Jew. And, uh, and this is a miswa which can be and must be performed wherever a Jew lives, in all times, in all places. And again, despite having said that, Chazal say that uh, the, the, as it were, the air of Eretz Yisrael makes one wiser, one increases one, one's understanding and uh, one's, one's depth of understanding and also connection to, to the Torah. The, the understanding and learning and connection to Torah and therefore to Hashem that is possible in Eretz Yisrael is greater than that which is achievable outside Eretz Yisrael. So all, the, all these things are, are connected. These are some of the misworth that, that Hazal uh, single out. But, but it should not be understood that, that a person can uh, opt to perform this or that miswa because uh, it happens to appeal to them. Uh, whereas another miswa which they perhaps do not understand very well or are not used to is somehow less <clears throat> less important. That would be uh, a grave error. Um, shalom, it's uh, Chaim. Uh, shalom. I, I was wondering for the Naswa of Chibut Arava this Friday, is there, uh, re- regarding that, is there, first of all, a minimum amount of Aravoth? And is there a bracha that one should make, that one may make? There is no minimum amount and no, no maximal amount. The minimal ashiur is even one stick of arava with even one leaf on it. So it says. 
but uh, obviously it's it looks rather how shall we say rather singy and poor to perform a miswa with a with a, a, a stick of one stick of arava that has barely one leaf on it but if that's what one has that's what one does but uh, there are various customs some take three uh, usually the, the, the freshest nicest looking uh, stalks of arava that one can find three some take five some take more and uh, they can be and should be bound together either with with another stick of stalk of arava or with a uh, piece of lulav or something like that with regards to the bracha or lack thereof uh, this is a mahaloket, as it happens, between the Talmud Bavli and the Talmud Yerushalmi. Although even with regards to the Talmud Bavli, there is more than one opinion how to understand the Talmud Bavli, but the usual understanding, such as Rambam's understanding of the Talmud Bavli's position, is that there is no bracha of the Miswa of Hibut Arava, which is an unusual and somewhat mysterious Miswa, one must admit. It is a Minhav uh, Nevi'im, as the Gemara says, and it uh, was brought back from Bavel by the Latter-day Nevi'im when they returned to Eretz Yisrael, the beginning of Bait Shani, the beginning of the Second Temple period. According to the Talmud Bavli, there is no Barakha to be said. In the Talmud Yerushami, we find that one Hacham asks another, uh, what Barakha does one say on this, on this Miswa? Uh, so apparently there were those who did say a bracha. So according to the Talmud Yerushami, one does make a bracha. The, the Nusach of the bracha is not explicitly mentioned there, but uh, one imagines that uh, the bracha would be If I ask a very short question, which yes. we'll have a very short answer, I expect. <laughs> All right. Um, if, if we can make coffee on Shabbat with Turkish coffee, what they call cafe bots, when you put boiling hot water directly onto the coffee. Because I heard different opinions. All right. <clears throat> there are those who say that you may do so. I personally can for the life of me understand such an opinion because uh, what's called Turkish coffee is simply coffee beans that were ground into powder and were never cooked in hot water. They were roasted. You can also actually make coffee from unroasted coffee beans. I have tasted such coffee. Tenmanim uh, have such a beverage. But uh, normally, roasting improves the flavor of the beans, uh, similar to many nuts, where we, we roast them to uh, enhance the flavor. But it is not in hot water. The Mishnah states that which has not come into contact with hot water before Shabbat, may not be brought into contact with very hot water on Shabbat. Oh, wow. And this, and this means, in simple terms, that taking Turkish coffee and uh, either placing it into very hot water or pouring very hot water over it, uh, is cooking for the first time. It was never cooked before. It was roasted, but roasting is a different process from cooking. The claim, in my mind at least, the claim that roasting and cooking are, are one and the same, and if, if something has been roasted, it is therefore also considered to have been cooked. This is untrue. 
it's, it is true that there, there is a discussion, and it's also the, the, the general opinion is that even with things like meat, there is bishul, there can be cooking after roasting and vice versa. In other words, you can take uh, a piece of meat, shall we say a steak, and you can put it on the barbecue, which is called roasting. That's called sali. And normally you would just go ahead and eat it. But if you wanted to, you could also go after that. You could stew it. You could put it in a pot with liquid. Yeah. There's a difference between sali, which is without liquid, and bishul, which is with liquid. And you could cook it. And these are two processes. And you would be hayav al Shabbat or cooking after sali or doing sali after bishul. There's, there's uh, Bala Yiraim, one of the Rishonim, and this is a generally accepted position when it comes to Chot Shabbat. And it's and it's logical that it should okay. be so. It's logical that, you, that, it, that it should be so, even with regards to meat, even though the uh, roasted steak is entirely edible. It doesn't have to be cooked now in water or sauce in order to be edible. It's entirely edible. If you want to go ahead and, and uh, cook it in addition to the roasting, and some people might say ruin it in addition to the roasting, then you can <laughs> certainly do that. But it's certainly edible. When it comes to Turkish coffee, it is not so. Coffee that has not been brewed in, in hot water is inedible. It is not ra'ula uh, achila. You cannot do anything with it. If you take Turkish coffee and put it in cold water, what do you get? You get something totally. You, you get you get uh, dark, murky water, which is totally uh, unpalatable. It's not mm. coffee. It's not coffee. At least. The fact that it was roasted doesn't change the fact that now, having put it into um, cold or even lukewarm water, will not turn it into a, a beverage that we refer to as coffee. But the moment you put it into hot water, even if it's not quite, even if the water is not really boiling, let's say it's uh, 80 degrees or more, maybe even uh, 65 degrees might be sufficient, I think, Celsius, but uh, certainly 80 degrees or more, um, you you do get coffee out of it. It's true, if the water is boiling, it's better. Um, but uh, if the water is quite hot, you will get a, a beverage, something which is drinkable, palatable, cold coffee. So if you do that on Shabbat, you're actually cooking that coffee on Shabbat, and that is Asumin HaTorah as far as I, I can understand the matter. And therefore, I, I truly do not understand those who say that you can uh, prepare that kind of coffee on Shabbat. So to sum up, if, if you wish to make coffee on Shabbat, you, you can either do uh, one, of the, one of the following things. You can either drink uh, instant coffee, which has already been cooked in hot water and then was dried. That's why it's ah. instant coffee. That's why it's instant. And that's why you can even add instant coffee to cold water and you will still get coffee. It'll be cold, it'll be iced coffee perhaps, but it's, it's coffee because it was cooked already and then it was freeze-dried. Or you can prepare Turkish or espresso coffee or with a coffee, uh, with a plunger, with a French press. You can prepare coffee. I sometimes do this before Shabbat. And, uh, and then you can, uh, and if you make it, shall we say, quite concentrated and strong, you can use it as uh, as a concentrated coffee on Shabbat by uh, adding it to uh, hot water. It's already been cooked, and uh, now this this also is a machloket. According to some, according to Rashi, or what we what can be understood from Rashi, it's not actually before Rashi and Rashi. What can be understood from Rashi is the Rosh writes that if something is liquid and it's cold, even if it was cooked, you cannot heat it up again on Shabbat. But uh, here I am Mikhail. 
according to what, uh, for a number of reasons, the, the Rambam's position, the position of the Ran and others is that if something was cooked, even if it's now cold, it, it may be heated up. So you can heat up, according to this, you could heat up cold chicken soup on Shabbat, as the Temanim do, for example. And you could, and you could, you can heat up old coffee uh, or tea on Shabbat because it was already cooked. So here you could place some of that uh, concentrated coffee that you made erev Shabbat into a cup, add a hot water to it, and you'll have uh, a good cup of coffee. Regarding uh, Hoshanoth, what's uh, the custom of walking around the Beth Knesseth every day, uh, and, and on the Hoshanah walking around seven times? Uh, and sing all these putim. Is that is that a minhag? Is that is there like more significance to that? Or like how important is it to do that? Say the putim, go around. It is, it, it is clearly a minhag. Uh, it's it's uh, without doubt can be classified and should be classified as a minhag. The basis of the minhag is is very precious and important. On the one hand, in other words, it is. Because this is what was done in the Beth HaMikdash. Uh, when the Mikdash stood, uh, the Kohanim and, and others went, uh, the Kohanim went around the, uh, made circuits around the Mizbeach with Lulavim uh, and Aravot, etc. And what we're doing is, uh, is a Zechel HaMikdash. And, and the concept of Zechel HaMikdash, doing things uh, to connect with that which was, so that we do not forget that which was. So, and the main reason not to forget that which was is so that we will be motivated and uh, understand and know about these things so that we'll be able to uh, do these things and, and make them a reality once again. Not just, uh, it's not just an exercise in historical memory, it is uh, mainly an exercise, as many things that we do. Like Tisha B'Av, we don't uh, fast on Tisha B'Av simply to remember that there was once a Mikdash. We fast on Tisha B'Av to remember that there was a Mikdash and that there should be and must be a Mikdash, and therefore we have to build it and do it and make it a reality. And at that point, when we make it a reality, we will, we will no longer fast on Tisha B'Av. And the same is true of the Mikdash. So there is value to these to this practice on the one hand. On the other hand, um, the reciting of piyutim, which are incomprehensible or somewhat incomprehensible to most people, uh, especially if, if they are quite lengthy, is a problem. Whenever you do something in, in a, a shul setting, the Beth Knesset setting, which, which to which people cannot really relate and they cannot really understand what's going on, uh, this will inevitably, as Rambam and, and uh, the Rama with the hay and the Balaturim write, this will inevitably lead to people talking and uh, and uh, losing focus and and doing things they should not be doing in the Beth Knesset. So really such minhachim need to be considered and, and uh, modulated in such a way that they, they, they are comprehensible and meaningful to the people doing them. Uh, that's, that's one thing I would point out. Another thing I would point out is that Am Yisrael, throughout the very lengthy Galuth, clearly and obviously, was to, to a greater or lesser extent 
in a state of, of mourning. Even on Hagim, Am Yisrael was in a state of mourning. The Galuth in most parts of the world, at least in certain periods of history, was was very bitter and and uh, disheartening, to say the least. Sometimes downright terrifying. Uh, often the Jews felt that uh, their, their, their lives hung by a thread, and they thought and felt this for good reason. So that many of these piyutim, the ones that you're referring to, but also the ones that are said on other occasions during the year, are bemoaning the reality of the galuth in uh, in Chutzlaretz. Now, for us to, to, to say, to repeat those same piyutim, which are in many ways uh, kinoth, in other words, it's almost like saying kinoth of Tishaba avon sukoth, which is a time which is supposed to be, as we said, zaman sim hafeno. And it's, it's a sort of mitabel to mourn and to be sad on a hug. But the overwhelming reality of the Jews in Chutzlaretz was, was galuth and mourning and sadness and, and downright uh, terror. And, and therefore this came came to the fore and was expressed in, in these piyotim in, in these very in these times of year, and inc- including Sukkoth, unfortunately. So many of the piyotim that are recited today really have no place today. They are referring to a, a an historical reality, which is, thank God, behind us. Uh, behind us in terms of Jews who live in Eretz Yisrael, and also, Baruch Hashem, behind us in terms of Jews who, who do live, who still live overseas, uh, one cannot compare the reality of a Jew living in medieval Germany in the 12th century, Luminianum, shall we say, the reality with which they, which they confronted on a daily basis. One cannot compare that to the reality of a Jew who today lives in Los Angeles or, or Melbourne or, uh, or Antwerp, for, for that matter. Are there anti-Semites in the world? Yes, of course there are. Have there, have there always been? Yes. Will there always be? Yes, there will be. Uh, that's not new. Ourselves, Spinelli, Akov. But uh, that doesn't mean that uh, reality has not changed very significantly. Is it possible that anti-Semitism is on the rise in various parts of the world today? I think it's not only possible, it's even uh, a factual reality. But again, that's not unusual, um, but it hasn't reached the, the levels which uh, I think would warrant repeating those same Kinds of statements that uh, the Paitanim in 12th century Germany, or or uh, or fun things about realities in the Ukraine or Russia, uh, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, uh, one thinks about the Khmelnytsky massacres, Tachvetat, 1648-1649. Those kinds of realities are so uh, removed from from our reality. Baruch Hashem. To repeat those same statements, those same kinoth, and sometimes referred to as piyutim, but some of them are actually kinoth, uh, I think is, is out of place. So the, the focus of, of such uh, piyutim on Sukkoth, which we recite uh, when, when circuiting the, the Bama, which is a Zechel Amigdash, should be on uh, the, the Ikar of. Uh, Sukkoth, which is uh, praying for rain, during Sukkoth, the the uh, rainy season of Eretz Yisrael, uh, the, the the din with regards to the 
and the coming rainy season, whether it will be sufficient, whether it will be a year of drought or, or plentiful rain, uh, is decided at the time of Sukkot. And this is something, again, which is unique to Eretz Yisrael. One can only understand the, the concept of when one understands and, and lives in Eretz Yisrael. If one lives in a country where it rains every third day on average, one has no conception, one no understanding of what uh, these statements and what these tefillot are all about. And, and again, this simply reinforces the fact that the Torah was designed for and is predicated upon uh, the assumption that we're talking about Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. Everything else is is a uh, some kind of substitute or aberration, and uh, that's something that we all have to keep in mind. Does the Rav have uh, a nusach to say? Like, is there has anyone wrote uh, uh, one of these things to say about the rain? <laughs> there, there are some uh, some such hoshanoth uh, written by Rav Sadia Gaon and others in earlier periods, um, which which I think are more appropriate. And of course, we could we can and should probably be. Uh, uh, authoring and writing such things today, and this is possible, and there are people who who have the talent and, and uh, the knowledge to do that. I don't have a, a specific Nusach uh, to offer you right now. I can tell you, if you look in Sidur of Saidagon, you will find some some uh, such piyotim that I think are appropriate. Thank you, Rabbi Bar Chaim. We would like to encourage our listeners to share these podcasts with friends and send in your responses. We would also like to suggest the following opportunity to our listeners. If you identify with Rabbi Barheim's message and would like to sponsor or dedicate a podcast in honor or memory of a loved one, if you would like to obtain Birkon Nusach Eretz Israel or invite the rabbi for a speaking engagement, please email us at office at machonshilo.org.